righty. I'm going to shift gears. I had this great message lined up for you about building an environment you can do well in, so we scrapped that this morning. And uh, we're going to go back. I began Wednesday night teaching on hearing the voice of God, how to hear the voice of God, how to hear Him speak. And before you can teach that, you've got to teach people something else. And the Lord laid it on my heart to go back and teach this with you and spend a few weeks talking about this. And so we're going to do Wednesday night. If you're here Wednesday night, I'm sorry, you've got to hear it twice. At this age, you've heard me say things twice before. I think it's the most important message you'll ever hear. Not the sermon itself, just the truth. Before I can teach you how to hear the voice of God, I've got to teach you something else. Before that, though, I've got to teach you that He wants to hear your voice. I've got to teach you that He wants to hear you speak. So we're going to talk this morning about the friend of God, being the friend of God. And uh, I want you to just look through scripture with me and let's see what he's got to say. We begin today in Psalm 100, verse three. We're going to read one little verse and then I want to ask two questions out of it. I want you to answer them. Psalm 103 first says this, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us. You believe that? You believe he created you? All right, you got to make a decision with your life. And we're being pressed in our culture today to make this decision. And there's only two, there's only an A and a B. There's no C. Either somebody created you, either some superior being created you, or, or, you, or there's no creation behind you. You're strictly a biological product. I'm going to cut to the chase. You're just a bag of sails. And like any other animal, you're going to live for a while, and then you're going to die, and then you're going to rot, and you're gone forever. That's what evolution teaches. But the Bible teaches, know this. You need to know something. The Lord, He is God. He made you. And you've you got to decide, do I believe that I'm just the product of some biological uh, circumstance, a man and a woman, and, and I'm here, and one day I'm gone, and I don't exist anymore? Or do you believe that somebody was behind you being here? You've got to decide. Now, if you believe what the Bible teaches, you believe that Obviously, if you were created, he had to know about you before you were created. You have to believe what Psalm 139 says. Before I knit you in your mother's womb, I knew you. I wrote the days for you when there were no days yet. You got to believe he knew you before you were created. Well, we believe that and we teach that here. I'll always will. I think everything in life goes back to the book of Genesis or creation. Now, which if you believe that you were created by somebody, it leads to question number two, which is simply what? Why? Why? Two great days of a person's life. The day they're born, the day they find out why. And if he created you, surely you know good and well. He didn't create you and say, oh, well, I don't know. Good luck. <laughs> really? Everything he does has a purpose to it. And if he created you, there had to be a reason. Had to be a purpose behind it. I could take you to many verses in the Bible and show you that there was purpose in your creation. For instance, I think Daniel quoted earlier a little bit, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you. There had to be a purpose in your creation. The greatest thing I can do in my life is find out why I was created. Why he created me and get into it. I got to find out why he created me. So we're going to look this morning at why you were created. And I want to put something forth here. It's going to stand religion on its head, which I love to do anyway. Turn with me to the first page in the Bible, Genesis chapter one. See if we can find from the beginning why we were created. And it's going to be so simple. There was a preacher's a guy who can take the great simple truths of God and make them so complicated nobody can understand them. 
Jesus Christ takes the great truths of the universe and makes them so simple a child can understand them. That's what the Bible's written for. I want you to read with me in Genesis chapter one. Uh, you can read the first thing the Bible ever says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I think he did a good job. How many of you like the outdoors? He did a fine job. I'm glad he put trees here. So he starts creating things and you know the list. I want you to look with me in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Number one, who's he talking to? Who's he, who do you say, the, who's the us? Jesus Christ. John chapter one tells us this. In the beginning was the word Jesus and Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. So he's talking to his son and what do he say let's do? He said, let's do something. Let's make people. <clears throat> but how do you say we're going to make them? In our image or in our likeness. Now, you know, that doesn't mean that my face looks like his face. It's not physical. Likeness means like, but somewhere right here, I am like God. Let us make man in our likeness, make him like us. It's at heart level, not physical level. And listen to me, not up here. My mind's not like his mind. Isaiah 55 said, my thoughts are not your thoughts. They're way above. You can't think with me. But at heart level, I was created in God's image. And so were you. You are created in the like God, likeness of God at heart level. So he created him. <clears throat> verse 27, verse says this, God created man in his own image. At heart level, it's were created. Look at me, verse 28. Then God blessed them and God spoke to them. My, my. So we got God talking to people here. I'm going to make an announcement. God talks to people. Right there, the first thing you ever did was speak to them. Now, I was taught so wrong about him as a young man. And if you'd have said, what does God have to say to you? I said, I'll tell you, he's going to kill me if I don't straighten up. <laughs> That's how I thought he talked. But may I ask you a question? What's the first thing God ever said to people? Read it. What did he say? God spoke to them and said, be fruitful. That means be successful. Do well. I want you to do well in life. So God creates me in his image and then he wants me to what? Do well. Be successful. But you know what I see? I see God creating a person, people, and then I see him talking to them. And I see him encouraging them and, and cheering for them. Do good. But he, he helps them by talking to them. All right. If you know, the, if you know what happened, that thing, we don't know how long things went well, but things went well. You know, when God Almighty creates you and blesses you and says, do well, you're going to do well. They did good. All of a sudden, a malevolent player comes on the scene. A being comes into the garden and he says to the woman, here's what he says. I'm better than God. I can do you better than God can. Matter of fact, God's holding back from you. Change God's, follow me. It'll be better. You say, that's so stupid. Then why do we keep doing it? And she believed him. She believed the lie. And you know what happened? She drew her husband into it and they decided they would change gods. They would quit following the God who created him and they would follow this guy who Jesus called in John 8, 44, the liar. He is, he's a liar. All right, when that happened, things went haywire in the universe and everything you've ever suffered came out of that one incident right there. Now, what's, what's this great God gonna do now that his people have turned away from him? I mean, he's God Almighty. Go snuff him out. Read with me in Genesis 3 where this happened. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 3. 
It's Genesis 3, 8. You know, they've walked away from God. They've changed God's. Genesis 3, 8, the Bible said, then they heard the sound. It's the Hebrew word ruach, and it means voice. So they hear him talking. They hear the, I want to stop here and say this. You can hear the voice of God. All right. Then they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, which means in the evening. And Adam and his wife ran from God. They hid themselves. They're in the garden. They live in this beautiful place. And all of a sudden, and obviously this happened every day. So he steps down into the garden and they hear him talking and walking through the garden and they run and hide from him. And uh, apparently by the text, you can tell up until this day, every evening they met him and they walked and talked together. All right, watch this. The Bible said in verse nine, then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? I maybe think he didn't know. I maybe think he's looking here and there. And let me ask you something. He never asked a question for information's sake. He is the all-knowing. He didn't ask for, he knew where they were at. Why did he say, where are you? What do you hear right there? You were supposed to meet me here. We were supposed to talk. Why are you running from me? Here's what I see as a God Almighty who created people to bless them and be good to them and walk and talk with them. And all of a sudden they changed gods and they ran from him, but he did not give up on them. He's still asking them, where are you? And he's still pursuing them and still, this is the story of world history because history is his story. And he is still saying today, he's not saying I'm mad at you. Let me make an announcement. If he's mad at you, he's big enough. He'd have got you by now. He's not mad at you. He says to every human being, what he said to them, where are you? And he's pursuing you for something. Now, let me make an announcement here. This is where I want to dump religion upside down. He did not create them to work for him. He didn't create you to work for him or even serve him. This is where religion really messes things up. I can remember in my little Baptist church, first got saved and had a big sign that said, save to serve. It wasn't from the Bible, it just rhymed. So they put it up there, save to serve. I wasn't saved to serve. I do. I'm glad to do it. I wasn't saved to serve. Do you have your kids work for you? Good luck. This book does not teach that we were, we were created to serve. This book teaches you were created to be the friend of God. The friend of God that he could be a father to you and you could be a son and daughter to him. Uh, now let me tell you about this serving God thing. Does he really need my help? That ball you saw out there, we call the sun. Guess how it got there? He said, let there be light, pop. Tell me what you can do for him. He really doesn't need me. He didn't create me to work for him. Although I serve him. He created me to be his friend. How many of you know what a friend is? Does anybody here have one? Let me tell you about friendship. The word friendship is all through the Bible. The word friend is one of the hardest things you'll ever define. Because you know what a friend is. Tell me. Even if you try, you'll tell me characteristics. You won't be. Friendship's the hardest word to, word to define. In my Greek lexicons and the English dictionaries, they have the craziest definitions of friendship. But in the Bible, friendship boils down to two things. You have to have two things to be a friend to somebody. Number one, you have to have a mutual love for each other. You can't be a friend with somebody you hate. 
I'm over your head here. <laughs> you got to love each other. Because Proverbs says this, a friend loveth at all times. A true friend will love you when you screw up. A true friend will love you when you're not doing right. A friend loveth at all. You got to love each other, but that's, even that's not a friend. The other part of a friend is a true friend will love each other. All, both of them love each other, but both of them have to enjoy each other's company. You have to enjoy being together. If you got somebody you can't stand to be around, that's not a friend. That's a mother-in-law. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know why I just get everything off track there. A friend is two things. You love each other and you enjoy being together. All right, let me, uh, let me ask some questions here to see if you know scripture. Does God have friends? How many of y'all think he's got friends? We're going to look at that in a minute. Does he want friends? I think it's the purpose of creation. I think he desires it. I think it's why we were created. As we saw in the book of Genesis, he created people. He didn't need people. He is all sufficient. But he was looking for friendship, somebody to talk to. He put them in the earth. And even when they said, we prefer somebody else's friendship, he would not quit chasing them. He never has and he never will. If a man has a hundred sheep and loses one, he'll leave the 99 and he will chase that one till he gets them. All right, I want you to look with me in scripture. Uh, Turn with me to Genesis chapter 15. Let's do two more. Two more to see what the Bible teaches about this thing. All right, there's a guy in the Bible named Abram. His name was changed to Abraham. He was a pagan. He was raised in Er of the Chaldees, which is a pagan culture. They didn't believe in God. But one day God came and he started talking to him. And Abraham liked him. And they, they fell in love with each other and they formed a deep friendship. Abraham and God became dear friends. Uh, the book of James tells us Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. And Abraham was the friend of God. He's called the friend of God. And Isaiah, when God's speaking to a guy named Jacob, he said, you're Jacob. I have created you. I have blessed you like your father, Abraham, my friend. So God called Abraham his friend. What is the one thing you got to have to have a friendship with somebody? What's the heart of every relationship? Communication. If you can't talk to somebody, you can't be friends with them. Am I with you? I mean, friendship is propped up on talking to each other. Communication. And these people learned to talk to God and learned to walk with him. And they learned such a deep friendship. Uh, they didn't get orders. They got relationship. I want you to look at one. Of, and this was after they'd met each other, been friends for a while. I want you to look at their friendship. Genesis 15. After these things, the voice, word means voice, of the Lord came to Abram in a vision and said, don't be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield. You're exceeding a great reward. Listen, I want you to read the Bible, find out how God talks. When he talk, you know what I see in the Bible? When he talks to people, it is encouraging. It helps them. That's the way he talks. But Abram, verse two, said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar? Abram said, look, you've given me no child. Somebody born as a slave in my house is going to be my heir. What happened right there? God just comes in there talking and he opens his heart. This is the deepest part of his heart. He opens his heart to God and he said, you've been good to me, but the one thing I've wanted, you've never given me. I wanted a child to inherit my business and these holy. By the way, he was filthy rich. God made him so rich. And he said, I might have to give it away to a slave. I wanted a son to leave all this to. And he just, 
you know, when the plumber comes to my house, we talk about plumbing, maybe the weather, maybe his truck. I don't go deep with the plumber. You with me? You don't go deep with the Amazon guy because time you open your mouth, he's gone. <laughs> Friends open their hearts to each other. Friends don't do this surfacey stuff. Friends get deep. And Abram opened the deepest part of his heart to God and they talked. Watch his response. Uh, verse four, the word of the Lord came to him saying, no, this one will not be your heir. Somebody from your own body will be your heir. Took him by the hand, took him outside, said, count the stars. Like these lights, count the stars. He said, that's how many children you're going to have. And then that famous verse six, Abraham believed what he said. You hear that? How deep is that conversation between two? What does the Bible call them? Friends. Abraham's just a common man, but him and God learned to be friends, learned to talk to each other. And they opened their hearts to each other. Uh, let's do one more. Turn, turn with me to Exodus chapter 33. Let's go a little further here. Demons, the Bible is a book about God and it's written to teach you about him and it's written to teach you about you. Exodus 33. You ever heard of a guy named Moses? Guy had an ark. Exodus 33. Don't you look at Exodus 33 verse 9. It came to pass when Moses went into the church house, the tabernacle, the cloud descended on that tabernacle and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked to Moses. Why is that all through the Bible I see God talking to people? And we have people today that don't believe he'll talk to you. All through the Bible he talks to people, just common people. And the people saw it, verse 11. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man talks to his friend. He just came down, they talked like friends. They spoke face to face like friends. What do you see all through this Bible? That God's looking for a friend to talk to. And he wants to be the friend of people and they talk to each other. You can go on and read the rest of this passage. This is where Moses had just been told, I'm sending you with all these people to take them to a new nation. And I want you to say, let me see how friends talk. I want you to listen to what Moses, I want you to say what Moses said to him in here. He told him, he said, I'm sending you to a great land and it's going to be great and you'll be successful. I'll provide everything you need and I will protect you along the way. Right. He promised him a great life, provision, protection. And Moses turned and Moses said to him, if you go not up with me, I will not go. Right. Do you hear what he said? Thank you for promising me a great life. Thank you for protecting me. Thank you for providing. But I want more than that. I want you right here beside me. If me and you can't talk on this journey, I'm not going. Well, do you hear Moses' heart right there? He didn't just want the blessing of God's hand. He wanted the friendship of God. And he said, if you go not up, I'm not going. If I can't have you as a friend, then we're not going to do this deal. And they talk like friends face to face. All right, you can travel all through the Bible. You come to what's called the New Testament, which is what we're part of, the New Covenant. And uh, all of a sudden, one day, this thing about getting friendship back with man was not going well with him. So he decided, I'll make the ultimate trip. I'll just go down there myself. So the Bible said in John chapter one, God became a man and walked on the earth among us. His name was Jesus. He put on a human body who was Jesus and he walked in the earth. And uh, let me tell you what the Bible says about him in John one also. It says, no man has ever seen God at any time. I hadn't. Nobody's ever seen him, but the son has shown us exactly what he's like. Because Jesus is the revelation of God. 
If you ever wonder what he's like, if you've got to choose between the Wizard of Oz and Jesus Christ, lean toward Jesus. You know why I said that? All the preaching I ever heard as a kid and a young man, he was the Wizard of Oz. He's just hard to get along with and he's, no matter what you do, it wasn't enough. Go kill the wicked witch. That was the Methodist because we were Baptist. But Jesus is the revelation of God, right? Jesus steps down this earth to show us what God is like. Let me ask you a question if you know the Bible. What's the first thing he did? Before he healed anybody, before he fed anybody, before he raised it, what's the first thing he did? He picked 12 men to be his friends. The Bible said he chose 12 men, not to preach. He chose 12 men to be with him. And he picked out 12 guys and he said, we're going to walk together. We're going to camp together. We're going to sit around a campfire together. We're going to eat together. Y'all will be my friends. First thing I see in the revelation of God is I want friends around me. Now, here's what I really like. A lot of people criticize me for this. Deal with it. Bible right, religion wrong. That's one of the best things you'll ever learn from me. Who did he pick? Who's the first guy he picked? A redneck, ignorant, uneducated, jacked up, fisherman. He drove a Dodge, had eat more possum written across the back of it, had an NRA sticker in the window. Am I lying? He didn't pick a religious man. He picked, the Bible called him an ignorant, uneducated fisherman. I throwed the redneck part in because I mean, that's what, that's what they are. Whip his, knife out, whip his knife out and cut you in a heartbeat. That's after he was trained. Who's the next guy he chose? Number two, chose his brother. Another redneck fisherman. Who's the third guy? Another redneck fisherman. Another redneck fisherman. Why do you think he nicknamed them Sons of Thunder? Nobody ever called Mr. Rogers no Thunderhead, I'll tell you that. He picked rough, crass men to be his closest friend. Let that teach you something about the real God. To walk with him and be his friends and enjoy him so he could enjoy them. That's different from the God most churches preach about. But Jesus is the revelation of God. And he walked on this earth and he showed everybody. Now, <clears throat> I, I, many preachers say, well, he doesn't speak today. He wrote the Bible so he doesn't need to speak anymore. You need to come hear me and I'll tell you. Yeah, count on that. <laughs> Let's just settle it with one verse, can we? Yes. John 14, listen, what, excuse me, John 10, listen to what he said. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they walk with me. Yes. What you gonna do with that? My sheep hear my voice. And no doesn't mean I know about them. It means I'm close to them. Gnosko, I'm close to them. People hear my voice. I'm close to them. They walk with me. This isn't hard. He still speaks today. Matter of fact, let me show you the, let me show you the, turn with me to John chapter 15. I want you to hear the man say it himself. John chapter 15. I don't know if you're familiar with John 15. This is the last thing Jesus said right before he was put to death. He was not captured and put to death. He planned his death. The Bible said he planned it. And this is right before he, he said in this, in this particular chapter, he said, nobody's taken my life from me. I lay it down willingly. Greater love has no man than this than to lay down his life for his what? Servants? Employees? Friends. He planned his own death and this is right before he died. And he's, this is the final thing he says to those friends that he loved so much. I want you to look at what he says to them in John chapter 15. 
Uh, let's put in about verse, uh, let me read it again, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this to lay down his life for his friends. Verse 15 says this, John 15, 15. No longer do I call you servants. That's why I don't like for people to call me a servant of God. What did Jesus say right there? I'm not calling you a servant anymore. A servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you what? Friends. Because everything that I know, I've told you. I want you to, I'm going to quote that again. Jesus said, I don't call you servants. Servants do not know what's on their master's heart. I don't open my heart to the plumber. But I've called you friends because everything the Father's shown me, I want to talk to you about. What's the difference in a servant and a friend? You hire a servant to work for you. You, you find a friend to talk to and to open your heart to. What did Jesus say about you right there? Now, this is you. This is New Testament right here. He said, I'm not going to talk to you like servants anymore. From now on, you're my friend, and I'll tell you everything God's shown me. Did he just promise to talk to you right there? He did. He's looking for friends in this thing. And this is the, this is the, this is not minor league stuff. This is the big deal right here. Matter of fact, Jesus, he brought a new way of thinking about God when he walked on the earth because religion had screwed it up so bad. That's why the preachers hated him. And they despised him. And matter of fact, they mocked him. They said he's not God because he doesn't act like we think God should. You better get over that. Blessed is he who's not offended by me. And matter of fact, they hated him so bad. One of the titles they hung on is my favorite name for Jesus. There's over 300 names for Jesus in the Bible. But the one I love the most is the one the preachers despised him with. You may not think this is in the Bible. Look it up if you don't believe me. And Jesus said, God steps down to the earth and you preachers say he is a drunk, a pig, and a friend of sinners. My favorite title for him is friend of sinners. Anybody here glad he's a friend of sinners? It was a slam on him. But what'd they say? We can't, why did the preachers say, this man ain't God, he's a friend with sinners. They couldn't conceive a God that wanted to be a friend with sinful people. Guess what he came to show us? He is the friend of sinners. He came to make friends out of sinners. He's the king who makes the common sinner his friend. And uh, the, my favorite place where he dumped this thing upside down is in Luke 15. It'll always be where the Bible said this in Luke 15, one. Jesus was, I don't know whether he's in an open air cafe or whatever, he was just there and said every sinner in town wanted to sit beside him. All the sinners drew near him to be with him. Well, that's, I, I preached this one time the day Jesus got caught at Hooters. That did not go over so well. <laughs> you need you a new God. You need the one in the Bible. Verse two said the preachers are so angry because he was sitting with sinners. They said, why does this man hang around sinful people and, be, and befriend them? And Jesus said, you don't need to answer them. I'll answer them. And he said, let me tell you a story. Basically what he said to preachers was you wouldn't know God if he walked up to you in a red jacket. He said, you don't know what God's like. So he tells a parable to teach them what God's like called the parable of some made up story of the prodigal son. He said, a man had two sons. One was perfect like you think you are. Remember, he's talking to perfect preachers. He said, the other one was a jackass, like you hate. And he said, he took, he took the father's money. He went and spent it on prostitutes, burned through all that cash, ended up starving, comes crawling back home with his tail between his legs. And he said to his father, I don't deserve to be a son anymore, but I'm starving to death. Could I at least get a job on the ranch? Verse 20, but when the father saw him, his heart was tender. He ran to him. He put his arms around him. 
And he said to his servant, go to my closet, get the best suit I got, put it on him. Bring my new shoes, put them on him. Put my ring on his finger. Cook dinner, call the neighbors. I am so excited, I got him back as a friend. And they just couldn't stomach a God who wanted to be friends with sinners who did not deserve it. They're still trying to earn it. Not going to work, Doc. He is the friend of sinners. And he brought such a radical thinking in that thing. All right. Let me go a little further here to help you. Does anybody, you ever read the Bible? It's not bad. Six out of 2,000. That's a good day there. About average. Does anybody know why the Bible was written? Y'all thought about that? All right. See, I was taught that the Bible was written to suck all the fun out of life. I'm not being cute. I was. Because all I ever heard when they did drag me to church, these overweight preachers in these tight polyester suits, they stood up and they talked about thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And everything they named is what I wanted to do. I thought, great. And they pay you to come hear this? Thou shalt not, thou shalt not. All they ever talked about was what you shouldn't do. And you're going to be in trouble if you do it. And I thought, why would I come here? And then I had an aunt that kept me growing up and she, she was mean. I mean, she was just wretched mean. And of course, her son, my cousin, I was bad, but he was three times worse. That boy, everything he touched turned to pudding. He got in more trouble and we were in trouble all the time. She had, to, she had red hair and a temper that matched. And <clears throat> we'd do wrong and she'd start screaming and she'd always say the same thing. Go get the Bible, go get the Bible, go get the Bible. Well, she'd bring the Bible out and she'd read what we'd done wrong and she'd flail a tar out of you. <laughs> Of course, she only had the Ten Commandments in her Bible. That's all she had in there. And her favorite one was honoring your mama. <clears throat> and I just, by the time I'm a teenager, I'm thinking, oh, the Bible is just to destroy your life and get you beat up. Of course, church folks had told me I was going to hell. And I thought, you call that good news or great joy? I was, I've been preaching for, I ever find out what the Bible was written for. I want you to look at me why the Bible said it was written. Take God's word for it. Turn with me to 1 John. The book of 1 John in the back of your Bible is where it says, this is why the Bible was written. If somebody told me this years ago, I could have saved me and a whole lot of folks some grief. Somebody told me that he said, I got an old tape of you preaching 30 years ago. I said, do me and the world a favor and destroy it. <laughs> Sad, isn't it, that you get trained in religion instead of just hearing the voice of God. 1 John chapter 1. I got a letter this past week lady. She said, I'm 72 years old. She said, I've been going to church since I was a baby. She said, I've never thought God liked me till just recently. She said, the church I was raised in just taught that he's angry and you're in trouble. Until I came and started listening, I never thought God liked me. Isn't that tragic? 70 years in church and never know that God likes you. That's pretty sad, isn't it? A lot of folks in that condition. All right, 1 John chapter 1. This is the place in the Bible where it tells you why the book was written. I want you to get it. <clears throat> Verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, we've seen, we looked at, and we touched concerning the word of life. The word of life is a name for Jesus. What do you say? I put my hand on the man. I've seen him with my eyes. I've heard him talk. Verse 2. The life of God was manifest, means it came down to earth. We've seen him. And we bear witness, we're telling you, that eternal life which was with God but came down to us. What did he say? Jesus was with God, but he came down to us and we saw him. Verse 3, that which we've seen and heard, but Jesus, we declare to you 
that you may also have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son. These things we write that your joy may be full. What does the Bible say right there? The Bible was not written to tell you what not to do. The Bible was written so you could have something called fellowship with God. All right, tell me what fellowship is. A lot of churches have a fellowship hall. That's where they eat health food. <laughs> what is fellowship? All right, fellowship is a, it's the Greek word koinonia. When I, in my generation, it was called socializing. Today's generation, I'm not sure what it's called. Hanging out, whatever. But fellowship is a word that means, what does it mean? Enjoying each other. Enjoying it. Listen, if you go on a date and it's awful, and you, that wasn't fellowship. You've got to enjoy each other for it to be fellowship. Where do we usually think of fellowship happening at? Where's the Bible saying we think of? Where? At the table. Somebody says to me, let's, let's go out to eat. I don't need the food. I got plenty of food at my house. It's not about the food. What's it about? We're going to sit down and we're going to do what? Talk and we're going to enjoy each other. That's fellowship. We're going to talk and we're going to enjoy each other. I got a buddy I'm going to eat with this coming Friday, dear friend. And we're going to sit there and we're going to laugh. We're not going to criticize each other. He's not going to tell me what to do because he knows I won't listen. I'm not going to teach him. The food's incidental. We're just going to sit there and enjoy each other. And we're going to talk about each other. We're going to enjoy each other. That's fellowship. My sweetheart and I, we go out to eat on Thursday nights. That's our date night. I do not preach to her. She's heard enough in 40 years. We don't, we don't tell anything new. We don't share information. We sit there and talk and we enjoy each other. That's called fellowship. Why was the Bible written? We've experienced it. And we're telling you so you can enjoy God. So you can have fellowship with God. All right. Now I want you to look at something with me in that passage. If you start enjoying fellowship with God and start walking and talking with Him, what will happen to you? What's verse 4 say? These things we write that your joy may be full. You want to enjoy your life? Learn how to fellowship with God. It's the greatest joy in the world. Um, let me make an announcement. If you're dating somebody, you've been dating them a year and you don't enjoy it, change dates. I'm over your head here. If you've got a God that you don't enjoy, change God's. Because the God of this book is the God that you're supposed to enjoy and He wants to enjoy you. If you can't hear his voice, find you a new God. You cannot enjoy each other if you can't hear each other talk. Right. Got to be able to hear his voice to be able to talk. And so the Bible's pretty clear that that's why it's written. All right, let me shift to more of your thinking here. You ever heard about anybody having a call on their life from God? Right. You ever heard of that? Every one of you do. The Bible says every person has a call on their life. You're all called. Now, let me tell what people think when they hear that, show you how screwed up our thinking is. Well, does that mean I'm to be a missionary? A doctor, your thinking's wrong. First Corinthians 1 9 says this God is faithful, who has called us into the fellowship of his dear son, Jesus Christ. The call on your life is to be the friend of Jesus. All right, when I got married <clears throat> 40 years ago, I did not marry my wife so she'd wash my camouflage underwear. I didn't marry her to vacuum the floors. Now she does that. I didn't marry her to cook. I married my wife for one reason. When I'm doing premarital counseling with couples, I'm getting more extensive with it. I figured out that a guardrail at the top is better than an amulet at the bottom. Amen. 
So I work with them now. And one of the exercises I have them go through, I give them a little card and on the top of that card is written Habakkuk 2.2 and it says this, write the vision, make it clear so that he who reads it may run with it. And then I put numbers one five through five or six and I tell them, I want you to take that card, both of you get along by yourselves. I want you to take some time to think about what you expect out of marriage. I want you to write down, this is what I'm looking for. And I said, if you weren't looking for something, you wouldn't get married. And it may be hard to articulate, but I want you to write down what you expect from this marriage. What are you looking for? If you're looking for somebody to wash your underwear, write it down. If you're looking for free sex, write it down. Whatever you want out of this marriage, write it down. And I said, it probably better not be washing. And I said, let me give you a hint. When I did this, we got married and I wrote number one, I want a lifelong best friend. That's why I got married. Number two, I want somebody to enjoy things in life with. I want somebody to adventure with, have children, things like that. I want you to write down why you get married and then I want y'all to exchange them and then you read it and you run with it. Give the woman what she wants, Bubba. She don't want a chainsaw. She wants this right here. I learned the hard way. First anniversary. All right. The call of God on your life is not to be a missionary or a doctor. The call of God on your life is to be his friend. Don't you get it? Let me give you a picture. One of the greatest pictures I've seen this a few times, saw it again last night. We have a couple in our church. They were were married 20 years, never had a child. They had a little boy almost two years ago. He has Down syndrome. They adore that boy. They're so happy. You just watch the joy they have with him. And he just, he produced a picture. And just the cutest little fella. Don't you listen to what I'm fixing to say. That boy will probably never be able to take care of them. He'll never be able to provide for them. They'll have to take care of him. They delight in him. You know why? They didn't have him work for them. That is the greatest picture of a father's love you'll ever see. We got to get off this. What do I need to do to make him happy? Sit down and talk to me. You're called into the fellowship of the Father. And that's why we were created, for the fellowship of the Father. I maybe think God's speaking today. I don't want to ask you a personal question, show you a verse, and we're gone. If he were to talk to you today, what do you think he'd say to you? Take a wild guess. Well, you don't have to take a wild guess. You can find it in the book of Revelation, because Revelation is where we get a revelation. So let's turn and look at it. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. If you want to find what he's saying today, it tells you right here, this is what I'm saying today. I don't know why people struggle with this stuff. The Bible's really a pretty simple book until you get between your ears with it. Just take the man at his word. Whatever he says, believe him. Revelation 3 is where he gives a revelation of what he's saying today. Let me tell you how I know it's what he's saying today. Because Revelation 3.22 says this, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit of Jesus is saying today. It's in the present tense. And he's talking, he's not talking to lost people. He's talking to the church. If you want to look that up, uh, he says to the church. So here's what he says to the church. This is what he's saying today. This is what he would say to you today if you could hear him. It's in verse 20. It's that famous verse. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice. You've heard this verse before. We've messed it up for as long as I know. Because people will say, if you don't know Jesus personally as your Savior, behold, I stand at the door and knock. This is not written to lost people. It's written to the church. 
Now you can use it, but you know, this is what God is saying to people that belong to him. Listen to what he said. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door of his heart, I will come in and what? Dine with him. Fellowship with him. The word, actual words, quantity of fellowship. Oh, by old King James says, sup. What would God say to you today if he could speak to you? Let's go eat together. Right there it is. Listen to what God is saying to the church today. Let's go eat together. That's what he'd say to you today. Let's spend time talking to each other. Let's be friends. Let's get to know each other. This is the voice of God today. It's what he's saying today. So it's on his heart. By the way, it's what you're going to do for all of eternity. Go ahead and get started. This is the eternal voice of his in everything. All right, let me, let me quit by just pointing something out here. I want to ask another question. It's my last question. I know, I know you just came to listen and try to stay awake, but I want to ask you one more question. What's the most important thing you do in your life? If you were to ask God, what is the most, I'm not talking about one time, I'm talking about over and over. What's the most important thing you do in your life? Take a while get. Well, let's look it up. Let's don't, don't listen to me. Turn me to Luke chapter 10. This is where Jesus said, this is the most important thing you do in life. It's not go to work and provide for your family, although we highly encourage that. It's not to behave. We highly encourage that. There was the 10 commandments were given not to have friendship with God. The 10 commandments were given to keep you out of jail. You can't know God with the 10 commandments, but you can stay out of trouble with them. There are universal laws in the universe. They're called the Ten Commandments because anytime you've got two people together, there's got to be some rules. We don't like rules, do we? Let me tell you something. We need to start liking rules because the alternative is not good. We found that out in Portland this past summer. So the Ten Commandments are given to help you, but not to bring you into friendship with God. Uh, for instance, if, if thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not end up in the county jail. Over your head here. If thou shalt not commit adultery, thine wife shall not take a chainsaw to you while you asleep at night. This ain't hard. If thou shalt honor your mama, she shall not smack you upside the head. That's why I said you'll live a long time. They're given to keep you out of trouble, but they're not given to fulfill your purpose. Right, this is the most important thing you'll ever do in your life is in Luke chapter 10. And I love this teaching here. <clears throat> Verse 38, it happened. Jesus went he entered a village, a certain woman named Martha invited him home for dinner. All right. He loved to go here. This was a little home in a little village. He went there a lot of times because he enjoyed being there. He had three siblings. There were Martha and Mary and they had a brother. Does anybody remember him? Lazarus, the one duty raised from the dead. They, three siblings lived together and the Bible says Jesus often went to their house for dinner. He just loved being there. So she invites him over for dinner again. Verse 39, she had a sister called Mary who sat at Jesus' feet and listened to him talk or heard his word. Martha was distracted with much serving. You got the picture? We're in this little home, little Judean hillside. Jesus is sitting in a chair, apparently in the sitting room or whatever. And Mary's right here. And she's just watching him, just listening to him. Martha's over in the kitchen. She's slicing olives and scaling fish and I don't know, whatever. And she's in there working in a tizzy. So Martha's, Mary's listening, Martha's cooking, getting ready. She's serving the Lord. We're proud of Martha. Verse 40, Martha was distracted with much serving. How many of you know it's good to serve the Lord? She's serving the Lord, but she's distracted. She approached him and she said to him, Lord, do you not care that my sister is sitting on her fanny? I just put that in there. <laughs> Has left me to serve alone. Tell her to get up and help me cook dinner for you. Got it? Now she's 
The Greek word here is wad. She's on a wad. And she's mad because she's doing all the work. She's serving the Lord. Nobody help me serve the Lord. You're just sitting on your fanny. So she goes to Jesus and she says to him, you don't care about me, do you? How could you get the point you think God don't care about you? And then she starts telling God how to run the universe. That ought to go over well. See if that prayer gets answered. And uh, now, now, she's, now she's critical of other people. This ain't good, is it? Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, verse 41. Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're in a wad. You are worried and troubled. All right, let, let me ask you a question. Is this, is this a good lady? Does she love God? She sure does. Is she serving him? Why is she living her life worried, troubled, critical of other people, doubting that God cares about her and making foolish prayers? That's not the way to live right there. And she's mad and she's in a wad. Let's read it again, verse 41 or verse 42. Jesus said this, one thing is important. Now everybody look right here. When the creator of this universe says one thing is important, we need to listen to him. He said, one thing is important and Mary has chosen that one important thing in life and it'll never be taken away from her. All right, you got this lady serving God and she's in a wad because she's serving him so hard. Her sister chose to sit down and listen to him. And when this one complained, Jesus said, there's only one thing in life important. And the most important thing you'll ever do is not serve God. It is listen to him. It is to sit at his feet and let him talk to you. Do you notice Mary wasn't upset? Do you notice she didn't doubt God's care for her? We need a shift in the way we think. Now, again, I'm not saying don't serve him. Of course, I'm serving him. I'm serving people because I like people and I like Jesus. But the most important thing I do is listen to him and talk to him and enjoy him. Somebody should write a song that should go like this. What a friend we have in Jesus. I hope it says, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything, everything to God in prayer. I think they wrote this with Martha in mind. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what stupid pain we bear. All because we do not get to know God as a friend. We got to have a shift in the way we think on this thing. Alter our program out there. I was out, I think it was last Tuesday morning. I go out early in the morning to my shack out back and I play the guitar and I sing just for one person, just for him. He likes to hear me sing. You probably wouldn't, but he does. But that's all right. You, you, there's a curve when it's your own children. You'll put up with things your own children you wouldn't put up with Malin Jackson. I like to sing to him one of our favorite songs, I Come to the Garden Alone While the Dew is Still on the Roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear. The Son of God talks to me. He walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me the neatest things. You cussed yesterday, didn't you? That's not what he says to me. Although probably did. That's not what he says. He says, you are mine. I'm his own. Listen to this. And the joy we share while we tarry there. You were created for this. You've got to learn to hear the voice of God. I'll quit with one statement. You know what the greatest tragedy of your life would be? Live your entire life and miss your created purpose. Be a good person, build a business, support the Rotary Club, I don't know. Be a good person, but miss your entire reason for living, which was to hear the voice of God and be the friend of God. 
If we were created to be the friend of God, let's make that the most important thing we do. Are you ready? Been talking about talking to him. Let's do it. Lord Jesus, I want to praise you and thank you for your kindness. There is none like you. I just pray in Jesus' name that simple truth will become so crystal clear to people this morning that they'll say, I, you didn't write that book to ruin my life. You didn't write that book to cramp my style. You wrote that book so we could be friends. I pray this morning people would hear the same thing Adam and Eve heard in that garden. I want them to hear the voice of God say, where are you? Come talk to me. You, you need me to help you. That's ridiculous. You created me to be your son. And I thank you that you, your word says you delight in your children, just like we all do. I'd hate to get to the end of my rope and stand in front of you and realize I missed it a mile and a half, acting like Martha and running around and trying to do all these things for you and never just walking with you. Well, Father, I want to be like Enoch. The Bible never said he did anything except walk with God for 300 years. And you put him in the hall of fame just because he walked with you. Let it, I, I just, I pray for every person in this room that they'll be like Abraham. They can have such deep conversations with you that they can open their hearts to you. Like Moses, they can talk to you face to face. And I pray that everybody in this room will realize if Jesus was to walk by here today, you'd be one of the very ones he'd choose to say, come walk with me and let's be friends. Thank you for the call. I thought, Jesus, I'm going to ask people to follow you right now. I want you to open their hearts and just follow you. I don't care what their religious background's been. I don't care what they've done. You're calling people to walk with you today. Draw people to yourself. I trust you for that now. Friend, we're praying, while we're praying, if you've never decided you want to follow Jesus and be the friend of God and become a child of the living God, you can do it right now. Jesus said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you believe that I am He, He died on a cross so you could be a child of God. You put your trust in Him and follow Him, you will be. Where you're seated right there, we're going to pray a simple prayer. You've got to pray it in childlike faith. got to be from the heart too because He's listening. If you want to follow Jesus, just pray this simple prayer with me seated right where you're at. Dear Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on a cross because you care about me. I believe you rose from the grave because you are almighty. I believe you're coming back to earth one day. I want to follow you. I want to be a child of the living God. Today I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I'm coming back home. I believe you. And today I make you the Savior and the Lord and the love of my life forever. I don't understand it all, but I'm trusting you. Teach me how to walk with you. I'm yours from this day forward. I declare it. Strong name of Jesus, I pray. If you prayed that minute, raise your hand real high. Put your hand up real high. Thank you. Put all those down. I give you the praise and glory. Thank you that heaven's door is wide open and you propped it open with a cross. You're just good. And we worship you and praise you. I will never get over the fact that the king of this universe humbled himself to befriend me. I pray none of us ever do. Our worship will always be born of a great love for you. Thank you for your goodness. In the precious and wonderful name of Jesus, we pray amen and amen.